Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. We help sales leaders make how they lead their most defensible competitive advantage. It doesn't matter if you're a new manager, a first-time VP of sales, or a seasoned sales leadership executive. We're all facing new challenges, and if you want someone to talk shop with that sat in your chair, I've got you. If you want to become a legendary leader for the team you lead, hit me up and hit me up soon. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we've got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined by Michael Hoy, Director of Corporate Sales and Pendo for Startups at Pendo. And I am excited to have him share a little about both of these roles with us today. Now, Michael's been a critical part of the amazing, amazing growth story happening at Pendo. Seriously, they've been one of the fastest growing companies in the world for several years now, and they just keep accelerating and growing faster every year. Pendo is helping companies worldwide solve product and adoption challenges, and they've emerged as one of the most exciting companies in North America. Michael has held several roles at Pendo as they've gone through this amazing run of head-turning growth, and I found him to be one of those guys that's always just a few steps in front of the pack. He's amazing to talk to because he has so much insight, and in his role at Pendo, not only does Michael, Michael lead a sales team that's taking more than the market says they should, he has the opportunity to see what some of the most successful and least successful teams in the world are doing and where the differences lie. And this is going to create a killer conversation that I'm excited to bring to you today. Now, I've been working to get Michael on the show for a long time, and I'm super pumped to have him on the show with me today. This is a conversation I've been wanting to bring each of you for a long time now. Michael, my man, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us. Rob, thank you for the great introduction. It's finally great to be here. Yeah, man, it's been a long time coming, but uh, with all that growth that you guys are having over there, uh, it's been tough to get you. So first, congrats on your success. And maybe you can start by introducing Pendo to our listeners. Yeah, and thank you for that. And happy to share a little bit more about our business. Uh, Pendo helps product teams deliver the value that their users want, even as the needs of the users evolve. So we're a product cloud that essentially brings together key elements like usage analytics to understand what and how users uh, are accomplishing what they need to on your application, sentiment insights to understand how they feel about that product experience, in-application guidance and walkthroughs and targeted messaging to improve your product's onboarding and adoption, uh, product feedback collection to understand your demand intelligence and how to prioritize, and then finally, uh, road mapping tool set that helps you set, track, and communicate those priorities across your team and organization. So Rob, at, at the end of the day, really what Pendo helps companies do is innovate faster. We help them drive engagement and adoption and revenue uh, through their digital products and their digital assets. We help them increase customer loyalty and growth, and we help them scale more efficiently. And you've been there for a while, man. You've taken a few roles. It, it must have been a fun run to be there and see so much happen really pretty quickly. 
Yeah, it, it's been pretty incredible. Uh, we are, we're at about 150, or excuse me, we're at about 450 employees now. I joined the company almost five years ago uh, when we were about 30 employees. And so I was one of, not the first, but one of the first uh, salespeople uh, to come in. And I was brought in by, um, by an awesome guy. His name's Chas Garantino. He now uh, is our managing director of our, of our European business. Um, and, uh, with him, uh, you know, we really uh, were able to, to grow this company to, you know, uh, um, exponential triple, triple, double, double, double growth pattern over the last five years. All right. That's awesome. Now, before we get into some of the lessons that you've learned along the way, I'm really interested in your story. You have a cool story. I, I I've enjoyed getting to hear a little bit about it. Can you share a little bit about you? How'd you get into sales and ultimately how did it get you to Pendo as guy number 30, right? Yeah, sure, sure. So like we were talking about this before the show started, right? Uh, I think actually my first foray in sales uh, was very unique. I was a professional musician uh, and I started, I went on my first tour. It was actually a, a trip and a tour through Europe when I was 16 years old. Um, and I actually had to create uh, a business case for my parents uh, to uh, to sell why I should be able to go on that on that trip <laughs> and play music throughout Europe. And uh, as I continued to do that as a as a teenager and as a young adult, um, nothing really gives you more sales experience than hawking flyers outside of a venue uh, and trying to get people to buy tickets from you on the spot. Uh, and uh, and you you know you really have to um, come up with whatever value prop you can on the spot uh, to, to sell tickets to an event where people have no clue who you are or what it lo- sounds like. Favorite location you played at. I'm, I'm interested. I can't wait to hear this one. Yeah. Um, good question. There is, uh, there is a venue in New York City called the Living End. Living End? Bitter End? The Bitter End. Uh, Those are two different, the living end or the bitter end. Yeah, the living end is a band, I think. (laughs) Okay. Uh, That's why I'm getting them confused. The bitter end, I think, is a venue um, kind of in in the village in New York. And uh, like Bob Dylan's played there. And um, and it's like a neat little tiny venue. And uh, for what it's worth, we, um, like I've done warp tours and we were skater pop punk dudes. And that was a, a show that we had to play acoustic. Um, but the history of the place was really, was really cool. Um, and then I guess the only other one there, uh, it's defunct now. I actually think they built the new Washington national stadium on top of the site. Um, but there used to be a venue in DC called nation. And like, um, it was famous because the Foo Fighters would come play there every year and Ozzy, uh, uh, Osborne and and Zach Wild came and, and played that venue once. And it was a, uh, like kind of three tiered catwalked um, uh, venue, and that was that was super cool. So, how does that lead you? So you're hawking tickets. How did that make you say, "Hey, this professional sales world ain't, ain't too bad"? Any anything else that got you there that ultimately yeah. led you to Pendo? Yeah, well, no, because at that time, right, I think I still wanted to play music for a living. <laughs> um, right. No, I uh, uh, pretty quick. Actually, in that, you know, I played I played in a band with. Um, with, you know, he's still actually a really good friend of mine. His partner at Cooley, um, a gentleman named Sam Lipson, and he had actually started a root beer company. 
And him and I were playing music and, um, and I was looking for a way to, to earn money to record a new album. And he was like, Hey man, look in the off season, I run this root beer company up in Port Clyde, Maine, and I could use some help. Um, and so I went up there with him and we ran, we ran the business. Um, and it put me out in the field, uh, going essentially door to door to retail spaces and restaurants, uh, selling root beer and, um, you know, drawing up uh, partnership contracts and things like that. And we actually, um, we grew the business enough in the time where we ran it together, where he was able to, he was able to sell the business um, wow. based on, uh, based on what we did. And at that point, you know, I think it was less of like, oh man, this sales things for me. It's more of like what you know, building companies and being a part of that is for me. Um, and so from that point, I, I launched two companies of my own that I effectively ran into the ground uh, but <laughs> got really great experience from it. And the last one was actually one where my office space was directly below Pendo's and Chaz, who I mentioned earlier was like, Hey man, uh, I heard, uh, you know, I heard you're exiting, exiting the business. What are you thinking about doing next? And I was like, not working for you, dude. And, uh, and he was like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pitch you for as long as it takes. And about two months later, I was, I was in working for Pendo kind of under this handshake agreement that with Chaz that I would, I'd come sell software for him as long as I could report to him or continue to be one step away from Todd. So I could watch and learn and see how the business uh, was being built and how the business was being grown so that I didn't get my butt kicked so bad when I went out there the next time. Well, it looks like it's been a good, good move for you. It's, you've uh, had amazing success. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate yeah, and, it. And, and, and through it, I actually really did. I found, I found a love for, for selling and for, uh, and for understanding how to really drive value into someone else's business. So I'm very grateful for that. Great story, man. So let's talk about what's going on now. So you, you lead a corporate sales team and you lead another team that we're going to learn a little bit about with this yeah. Pendo for Startups. There's a lot of things. So as you've worked with teams, I imagine you've seen some organizations that are iconic and fast growers and you watch what it's like, how they work with you. And you've probably seen others that are maybe different types of companies. Uh, I, I love the fact that you've been able to have this purview on, you know, successful organizations versus non-successful organizations. I, I'd love to especially see the insight that you got from that, as you say, how have they navigated pandemic times? Because yeah. that's where we are, right? Yeah. Um, let's start there. I mean, as you've been working with your team and supporting teams that are all around the world, I mean, anything that starts to like jump out at you is what the best leaders do that kind of help set them apart with the teams they lead? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a great question, right? And I think it's the question, right? We're, we're, we're actually, we have, a lot of our customers asking this question now, right? Hey, what are, what are your best customers? What are your best businesses doing from a strategic standpoint? Pendo aside, right? We've got, we've got right. a lot of customers who are, um, who are asking the same question. Um, and, and like Rob, you'll know this, right? As a sales leader, you always, as a salesperson, try to attach to the largest initiative, right? So, I mean, I think there's, there's still a lot of, um, a lot of cycles we go through where we're, we're not necessarily attached to these initiatives, but we're starting to see um, as these trends that we can. But from an early, early point, um, we really started to identify that there were going to be two things that were really important, right? And first and foremost, 
all companies, regardless, regardless of um, their status, regardless of uh, uh, you know how uh, how good of a company or strong of a company we think they are. All companies are worried right now about losing customers, about retention, about uh, you know, predicting what that churn is going to look like, and being able to save the customers um, that they can. And so um, everyone is is trying to understand. You know what what the current revenue stream is going to continue to look like throughout this uncertainty, right? I think I thought I saw that you know a, a large portion of the software industry was going to be affected to the point of you know desolation, like hey, we are going out of business because of pandemic. And so obviously the the ripple effects of that um, are huge, and and every business we've we've talked to and attached. Uh, or every business that we've talked to, we've at least been able to try to attach to that initiative. Okay. Let's sit on that for a second. I, I think sure. that you started with a really good one. Um, when pandemic hit, I mean, job one was keep all of your customers, right? Get right. every renewal you can. <clears throat> and I, then I think phase two was anything that's mid to late stage, we got to win. Yeah. And we'll get to some of that probably. It's easy to say manage churn. People have been talking about churn forever, man. I mean, that's one of the top SaaS metrics for a long time. It's just, I think the magnifying glass got put on it when this happened. How do you go past talking about that and getting predictive? And I like how you said that, predicting churn, particularly now, because people are making kind of goofy decisions sometimes. Have you seen any changes in predicting churn now versus pre-COVID? Yeah, I mean... I love that you said goofy decisions, right? It almost feels like this is kind of one of those things. It feels like this is one of those parts of the business where a lot of people throw spaghetti against the wall. Right. right? I mean, and that's interesting. That's actually really cool. Like, I think this is a really interesting forcing function, right? For a lot of businesses to say, hey, we got to actually figure this out now. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's no longer a, an indicator that we can cover up with, with incredible sales. Um, you know, we've, we've got a, for the good of our business or for the good of our, you know, going public or whatever it is, we've got to, we've got to really figure this out. And so, um, yeah, some, of, and it's still a hard, hard question to answer, right? It is. But, but and, and it kind of bleeds into, you know, some of the other things that we're seeing, but a lot of, a lot of the best businesses are trying to be proactive and not just with their, their ability to predict, like, hey, this company is going to churn, or we now have the insight that they're at risk. A lot of, a lot of businesses and the best ones we're seeing are starting to look at or, or emphasizing putting more investment and weight behind the way they look at their entire funnel and how that affects churn, right? So what happens even during the sales process that then a year later, or if you're on a monthly basis, 30, 60, 90, 180 um, days later, uh, affects our ability to churn. What is not like the handoff process, but what is the handshake process look like internally, right? To be able to facilitate a, 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 as, as good an information uh, exchange as possible to enable the customer. What does the onboarding of the customer look like? So proactivity, I think, starts from almost the minute we begin interacting with uh, with the prospective customer, and then how we you know we have this um, we have we had an initiative that started about two years ago, so well before the pandemic. Where um, Rob, you ever call um, like your cable provider 
right? And they pass you to a million different people. And you've yes, got this to, happened to me this weekend. It's yes. funny that you picked that. Yeah. And you've got to, and you've got to tell your story over again, over and over and over again. Right. right. Yeah. Our business was like that. And we used to call it the Pendo football, right? Cause everyone would just like, we would pass it and then it get fumbled and we'd all jump on it at the same time. And like, you know, and then it would squirt out and it, you know, more people would jump on it. And it was just a terrible, terrible customer experience. Right. And yep. when you're calling, I mean, did you have a good cable provider experience this weekend? No, it was horrible. It went out before an important game that we were going to watch. And I had my boys with me and, and it became way more dramatic and way more troublesome than it should have been. <laughs> and every time they passed me along, I started over. Some people had, had difficulties understanding what I was trying to say. And it ultimately ended up having me go to a retail store to talk to someone and get a product that I needed to just fix it myself. Ooh, so, don't, don't keep the Jepson boys from their football. That's right. <laughs> don't, don't do that. No, yeah. but, I mean, but, that, but that's, look, I think in our businesses, especially software, right? I mean, cable might be a little different. Like as soon as you get that turned back on, like you're still going to watch the game, right? But if that's the experience for somebody using a product, um, they might not log in or if they log in and the experience continues to be brutal, right? Either with their main touch point or how you are onboarding the person inside of that application, like they're not going to log in again and you are going to lose that customer, whether that's in 30 days or 360 days. So we're finding that we're finding that a lot of our more progressive businesses, I won't even say customers, right? Because they're, they're, you know, not all of them use Pendo, but there are people that we're seeing around the globe and organizations that we're seeing around the globe are looking at churn from a more proactive standpoint of earlier in the customer journey. How can we set our customer up for success in the sales process directly after the sales cycle? And then how we put them on the rails and carry them through value add, um, or at least put ourselves in a position to um, uh, put our, give ourselves a good foundation to save the customer. So what I like about what you just shared, Michael, and thank you for this, was one of the things that you, you said something that I wrote down. People have talked about it, but now you got to figure it out. Yeah. And what I like is you didn't just point to a different team and say it's their job to keep them. Well, you said that ability to keep customers starts in the way it was sold and the way that information is exchanged in the first place. Yeah. And you can't scale predictably if you can't retain predictably. So you figure out how that works before you start adding heads and trying to get more people selling because that's what kind of what I gathered from you is the great ones are figuring out what that, what that looks like because you really know if you have the right product in for your market based on if they stay. It's not if you can get someone to buy it once. It's if they right. stay, right? Right, right. It's 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 not just product market fit, but it's go to market fit. Yeah, it's it's and and it's and it's exactly what you're saying in terms of it can't be it can't be a one time thing, right? That that go to market fit works when you've got this cyclical process that's repeatable throughout the entire cycle, right? Not just, not just the initial, you know, however long your sales cycle is. So what would you say to our leaders um, as a couple of, of kind of maybe one or two or three kind of bullet points? Hey, these are things you should be actively doing to make sure you have that. You're doing all you can to guarantee that that product market fit happens. So then you can have the go-to-market fit in a confident way. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, so I, I think there are a couple things that I would suggest that, you know, it's not, not just things that we've done here at Pendo, but as I talk to other leaders that I, I have um, seen have, have huge success, um, you know, companies like Zendesk and New Relic and Outreach. Um, first and foremost, I think when you talk about the, the, the kind of chasm between product market fit and go-to-market fit, there needs to be an inherent connection between the product team and the, the go-to-market team. I, it's more than just sales, right? It's your, your product marketers. It's your, you know, your demand generators. Um, and, and having, having a, a feedback loop in place that's really tight in, in communication, right? So what is the market expecting in terms of uh, functionality and value that, that sells the product and then product being able to uh, build, whether it's that or something different or some iteration of it, and then teaching product marketing sales why and how to go back to the market with that. Um, and and this, this cyclical feedback loop ensures that based on what product as the experts of, of building and applying that feedback can put into the product, can then effectively get that information over, over to sales and then into the market. Um, so you know, we do that a couple different ways. Like we've got, um, we've got a committee that we, we designate people from our sales team, our customer success team, our, our, our product marketing team that meet. I believe it's bi-weekly with, with a few of our product leaders and our head of product operations. And, and they've got a really great cadence that facilitates this communication. Um, and, and we'll bleed into my next point. They all speak the same language, right? So mm -hmm. we brought on to, uh, and I mean language meaning internal language, uh, about a year and a half ago, we brought on a sales methodology. Um, and I won't make this a, a commercial for force management because honestly, like they've been great to work with, but I don't yeah. think it matters what sales methodology you go with. There's going to be one that works best for your business, yep. but having a, 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 having a methodology and we don't like to call it a sales methodology. We call it pendology because we, it. Apply, we applied it to everyone in the organization. So, um, the value drivers and the positive business outcomes that, you know, you would, uh, create through a sales methodology. That's actually how our product team talks and how they build things internally. And it's how we pass information from the sales team to the customer success team in terms of what positive business outcomes is this customer trying to impact their business with? You know, what, um, what required capabilities do they need to be able to get there? And because we're all speaking this same language, uh, you know, we're able to communicate those things in a much tighter fashion. We're able to bring product to market. Uh, that's the right product. We're able to create handshakes internally that create a really great customer experience. So those, those two things are, the, are, are, I think, the biggest things that I would suggest initially. So those are amazing things. I love, I want to sit back on what you said. You, call, you don't call it a methodology. You call it a pendology. Yeah. Uh, that's insightful, man. What it means is you're not hoping, sitting back and crossing your fingers and hoping people will adopt something that you've chosen to do. You weave it into who you are. Yeah. And I got to imagine it's not just something you do, you know, in a deal. It's something that everyone does. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that it's reinforced. It's discussed. You said you speak the same language, but I, I'm going to guess there's a lot that goes into making something a pendology. 
Can we sit on that for a second? Because I've never heard someone refer to anything like that before. And I think part of what every sales leader needs to do is we are responsible for the culture that we have. We are responsible for making how we engage a market uh, more, maybe more important than what we engage it with. Any thoughts about creating a pendology versus a methodology? I think that that, that might be a worthwhile show in and of itself. (laughs) Yeah. I honestly, like it's taken us, a year and a half, I think, to, to get to a point. It's a heavy lift, right? It's taken us about a year and a half. We're about a year and a half in where we feel, where we feel like it's woven into who we are, right? Yeah. Exactly as you said, and, and I think that's a great way to say it. But, it. but I think if you want to do this the right way, that's the goal you need to set out with is if we're going to make an investment in this sort of thing, we really want to change our business we've got to make it a part of who we are, how we talk and how everyone internally does business. And so, you know, for us, we really felt like when we went to the, to the market to look at sales methodology vendors, we had a lot of people look at us sideways because, and I led that evaluation here internally. I was responsible for, for picking our solution and working with our great CRO, Bill Binch and, in um, finalizing a partner there, but we got a lot of sideways looks at people being like, wait, I don't get it. You want your CS team to use this? Um, I, I don't get it. You want your marketing team to be a part of the training? You know, we, we had one vendor who was like, hey, I think it would be best if your product team didn't get involved. And you know, we made a concerted effort across the entire, you know, not just evaluation, but now the implementation of this thing um, and it's been super top down. Like our CEO, Todd Olson, uh, was in the mix. Like I've got this great picture of him on hour like 12 of writing this sales methodology in the corner on his computer, putting things up on the screen. And we're all like banging our head against the whiteboard. And he's like, no, we're going to get this done. Right. So like the, 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 the key things to take there are like, of course, you hear with any change management, top down is super important. But um, the width of, of which you influence this change is, is super important. And making sure that everyone um, gets included in it is the only way you're going to see real impact. Yeah, I think that's a really good insight that you shared. That pendology is, that, there's a lesson there, dude. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Brings up another question that, that uh, as I listen to you, I'm writing notes again. What about the decisiveness? Like when people, when, when, when pandemic hit, yeah. a lot of people said, we're going to put everything on hold and we're going to get new bearings. We're going to see where we are. We're going to whatever. What are you seeing now? Are people, I mean, are the great leaders, the great companies, are, are they more decisive, less decisive? Do, are you seeing things that great leaders are doing different in terms of decisiveness right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. the, I would say the weaker companies that we're seeing, it, it's, it's a bell curve. The okay. weaker companies that we're seeing are very decisive, right? But they're making decisions on the wrong things. Uh, and, and the strongest companies we're seeing are very decisive, but they're making decisions on the right things. And there are companies that float around in the middle that are the indecisive ones. And actually, this has been, this has been a lot of fun to navigate uh, and work with on our sales team is because we, 
Uh, we've been able to actually go back to the table and refocus on our qualification to be able to say, hey, listen, don't get happy years when you hear decisive, you know, when you hear, yeah, I'm glad you asked this question. So we've just had this, these conversations. Um, okay. So I'm saying that's awesome. What I'm here, so that brings up two more questions for me, man. Yeah, yeah. You said sometimes they are making them on the right things versus the wrong things. What's an example of the right thing versus the wrong thing? Yeah. So, so one of the things that we're seeing is companies who are in the strongest positions and want to keep strong positions are making decisions on uh, how they add to their tech stack based on where the puck is going to be. Right. So they look at, they don't just look at what's happening in this pandemic bubble. They go, Hey, look, there's a lot of uncertainty upcoming, but my business is in this state. And in 12 months, I want it to be in this state. And I'm going to make this decision, uh, not necessarily regardless of what's going on, but knowing the strategy that I have in play. And so we find that a lot of, you know, especially ones that we're talking to, the, the second big initiative that I was referring to earlier, uh, is that businesses and the best ones that we're seeing are looking at you know, looking at the next 12 months is not just, hey, I got to retain and save what customers I can, but now I got to go back to the market. I've got to acquire customers. I've got to grow my business. And a lot of these, a lot of these companies laid people off, Rob. A lot of these yeah. companies now have uh, you know, smaller margins or less headcount. They've got to go acquire customers at, at, a, at, a, at a just as fast of a clip as they did before, but at a, at a much cheaper With cost. Or with fewer people, yeah, much with, yeah, 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 with fewer people, right? So, so these businesses are saying, "Hey, look, I still want to put my foot on the throat of my competitor, right? But instead of having fifty people to do it, I only have twenty-five. But right. that's not, but that's not going to limit me in how I go to market. So, the best, the best teams that we're seeing are starting to think of, hey, it, I've." You know, maybe not this instance right now because I'm still focused on saving competitors. There's still a little uncertainty. But in the next year, I'm going to be acquiring customers. The puck down the line is going to be heading towards goal, and I want to be able to hit it in, right? So our best, our best, most progressive, uh, you know, businesses that we're seeing are, are, are making decisions and adding to their tech stack based on that. All right, so I'm going to ask one more question, then we're going to shift gears, and I want you to share how you've applied some of these things to what you're doing with this kind of growing business inside of Pendo, right? Um, So that's a really cool statement that I'm going to make decisions based on where the puck is going rather than where it is, but that can be scary as hell sometimes to say, how am I going to do that? Any advice to sales leaders that say, I wish I could do that, but maybe I can't get support, or I'd like to do that, but... I'm a little scared because like in the past I could survive a mistake, but right now a mistake might kill me. And yeah. I see people thinking about like these limiting factors instead of like where I want to go factors. Any advice to the listeners that are like right now listening to you as they're walking their dog or whatever they're doing? Um, you know, how do you overcome that? I mean, we got into this game because it was scary and risky, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that's probably the, the worst answer I could give. Um, no, I think it's, I, I, it, that's a, a very hard position to be in. Um, I actually spoke with, um, spoke with a CFO you know, who we were trying to sell um, last month and, and, and this came up and, you know, I think, I think at the end of the day, 
<clears throat> when you're looking at your business, there, there are things you need to prioritize, right? And actually CFOs have the best line of sight on this, right? And I know there have been, there's an article after article after article that has come out around, you know, how to, uh, how to actually get deals done in the pandemic. And almost all of them say, hey, your new buyer is the CFO, right? By the um, way, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Oh, 100%. I've, I've talked to more CFOs. Um, you know, we, we deal with a lot of CFOs anyway, but um, I've talked to more CFOs in person or over Zoom in the last few months than I ever have. And, uh, and people aren't making controversial decisions. You've got to get consensus like you never yeah. had to get before. Oh. Absolutely. Right. This is, there is no longer a straight path, right? right. No longer a straight path to doing a deal. Um, but, but, you know, the, the, the CFO, CFOs are stuck in this position. And at the end of the day, right. Um, if you're thinking about, well, how do I do these things for my business? How do I, um, how do I get to where the puck or how do I turn, turn my ship, turn the Titanic, uh, uh just away from the iceberg and how do I get to land safely? Um, I think you need to look at your position and what your business and your, your team is capable of doing and then create a strategy that allows you to do that. Um, and for some businesses, I think it's going like Rob, for some businesses, like I do understand that it's not, it's not necessarily possible um, immediately, right? You, 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 there, we we're working with this company right now, great company, right? Who knows that at some point in the future, They've got to change the strategy, but they are full bore on how do we just keep what's in front of us, right? Because it is extremely risky. And then I would, so, so true answer to your question is, hey, look, as long as you're focusing on one of those two, right? And know Love that, it. and know that both, both are going to become very relevant or both are going to be very relevant. But as long as you're focusing on one of the two and um, then I, I, you should be able to build a strategy around. Hey, let's shift gears, man. You're running this, uh, by the way, those are great. And so the reason I want to shift gears is we have enough time to give it justice. And I don't want to, I don't want to short change our listeners here. Well, of course. So you guys dabbled, you guys, I love one of my sayings is when in doubt, send out a scout. You guys did that with, you know, <laughs> can we do this for startups? Yeah. Sent out a scout and got some interesting returns. And so then you took it over. And you guys made a, 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 an adjustment. I won't call it a pivot. It's just an augmentation to what you're doing. Yeah. That you can now provide services to startups, not just the big boys. And, uh, and that's actually become a ridiculously fast-growing part of what Pendo's doing. I'd like to take a few minutes and maybe if we could talk about some of the ways you've applied some of these lessons yeah. to help grow Pendo for startups at a pretty impressive pace. I think that that will share a blueprint with some of our listeners that they might be able to apply some of those things to their own businesses. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So some, some quick context. Uh, last year, uh, I, ran our, um, I ran our European business in, a, in an acting MD role uh, as we prepared to, to move Chaz into that role. And while I was in London, you know, we, we, we did this test with a package that we were selling into the market that we called Pendo for startups and um, anybody on the corporate teams and, and for anyone listening our, our corporate teams facilitate uh, kind of the tail end of the market, smaller businesses um, and Pendo for startups was a package that anyone on the corporate team could sell. And it didn't have a lot of lines around it. It was um, uh, for intents and all intents and purposes. It was, 
kind of lawless and, uh, okay. and, and really it was put into place um, to help us go and, 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 and collect more, uh, more logos uh, than, uh, than we had in the past. And it was relatively successful, but it was just, um, it was just really messy. It's really messy when we, you know, when we talk, especially when we talk about uh, churn and being able to create really great growth um, out of a cohort of customers. So, um, and it was draining on our AEs because our AEs are mostly value sellers, um, even in the corporate tier. And, uh, and so then to go sell, you know, a, a package at a fraction of the cost at a fraction of the, of the, um, sales cycle, um, and then have to pivot and shift, uh, yeah. that mindset was really challenging for them. So we ran this test in, uh, in Europe where we built a inbound only webinar led, um, webinar led transactional focused, uh, limited product Pendo for startups package that ended up um, increasing our efficiency in selling these deals by almost 10. We would wow. bring 10 startup uh, founders and, and um, product owners into a webinar, deliver, you know, not a huge uh, mass demo, but, you know, kind of one to 10, one to eight. Um, and then we would schedule personal calls with them after, and we would set up very quick trials and then we would move them into move them into close, and so uh, pretty pretty quickly we learned that hey this was a much more effective way to run PFSU, uh, but we s- still found that there was a lot of inefficiency when we did this across the team. So we created uh, and 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 I created a team with uh, with my CRO Bill Binch uh, of three sellers or sorry two sellers and now it's. Now it's three um, that were able to go to the go to market. They were the only ones that were able to go to market with this very specific package. Um, you know, uh, um, you know, like I mentioned, the product was kind of limited, but still um, very reflective of what we offer um, to the main market at about a seventy six percent discount uh, of what we sell the, wow. the product to um, upmarket. Um, and since doing that, we're looking at exceeding the number of transactions and exceeding uh, the actual revenue brought in uh, by all 22 reps last year by just three reps this year. Um, and we've also seen the efficiency, the um, average deal size and the average deal cycle time of our reps that no longer have to sell Pemba for startups um, all increase. So we've seen wow. great efficiencies across the board. So is there any like two or three lessons as you look at that story? Is there any like two or three things you say, these are the things that were most important that we did. And, and if all, on the flip side, what's the one or two things that if I had it to do over, I wouldn't do. Yeah, absolutely. So the, I think, you know, two or three lessons. First lesson is uh, you find, find the price point that both works for the market and then works for uh, you internally. Right. I think okay. there's always, um, and, and, and then build and identify what the graduation path is right up into, uh, uh, up into, you know, bigger packages or, or more expensive packages. We spent a lot of time early on without a graduation path. Um, and I think it kept us from, from selling as fast as we could. And I think it kept us, uh, from, from earning the confidence of some of the, you know, some of the small businesses that we would have loved to work with out there, um, that, that just said, Hey, look, I, you know, I can't triple or quadruple my contract value, or I have to know that it's not going to happen. Um, and so as soon as we added in some graduation paths, um, we, we cut off a lot of 
um, <clears throat> we cut off a lot of um, a lot of questions and a, and a lot of time being added to the sales cycle. Um, the other the uh, the last the last thing I would say is um, you know I think for us we kind of thought initially that this would be a great place for you know kind of like the in in between the SDR and the corporate rep, right? This would be a great proven ground and learning ground for our SDRs to grow into great corporate reps. Um, and I actually pitched to Bill and, and kind of won, won his opinion over by saying, no, man, I think this is going to be 33% of my revenue this year. I want kids in here who can actually sell. Yeah. And so we put, we put, you know, it took some, took some, um, you know, took some selling on my part to a few people here internally to say, Hey, how about come in and drop in your average deal size down by a, you know, by three quarters and, doing more transactions and coming in in small and smaller deals. Um, but, uh, but having people who could, who actually knew the product, who knew the customer and could, could push these deals and these customers through a very transactional paced process has been unbelievable. And we kept them on the same quota as everybody else. And right now my, my, uh, my three reps are, you know, in our top five of quota attainment. Um, so nice. they're, yeah, they're looking at, they're looking at everybody else on the team and they're like suckers. Come on, man. I knew this would be great all along. So what I love about this is this is two things you shared. You said two things. One was about the communication early on, getting everybody speaking that same language, et cetera. Um, you, you, you talked about creating a pendology and part of that, you said in, in this world of decisiveness, when you shared that was go where the puck is going to be. Yeah. Act as if that's where you are. Don't wait yeah. till you get there and then make changes. And that's what you did. You you had to go sell some people, but you said, yeah, I, I want to act as if it's a third of the revenue right now. And it, are you getting close to that? Is it? Are you having that kind of success? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So last quarter, this this actually marked more than a third uh, of my team's revenue. And, with three um, people. With three people. It's really great. So now we're talking about trying to expand this out and, and thinking about okay, how can we how can we implement this in um, you know uh, up how how can we implement this even upstream? Where does this fit? I mean, it doesn't fit at all levels, right? And it, and it certainly doesn't fit with every rep. But this has definitely opened the door for us to to kind of test where we go because I think the key thing here for us is Pendo skating towards the puck is you know we just announced uh, a launch of our freemium product. Yep. Right. And we're going to be building what we call product qualified leads. These are people who use our freemium product to get into our product. And when they've extracted the, you know, the value that we've put in there and need more, we're able to um, drop them into a customer journey that matches them, whether it's a startup. Now they can go into this small package and, and we can move on that fast. They can go into maybe another tier of maybe like Pendo for startups plus uh, and, and quickly transact there. They can move into a value sale um, and be that much warmer and that much more efficient uh, of, a, of a lead for us. So that's really cool. And, and to do all that in a time where so much is in flux, let me finish your story with this. I mean, if those three people that are crushing, I mean, this must be a killer experience for them. I mean, you must see confidence being high. You must be, you must see like the ability to have coaching be at an all time high. You must see a lot of benefits as you've been able to start having success. I, one of my beliefs is momentum is a leader's best friend. Yeah. Uh, has this early wins made it easier for you to start building on and, and creating 
uh, momentum inside that unit? Oh yeah. Out, and, and even outside of that unit. So, you know, because uh, I roll up one number right. uh, holistically, even though I split it into two so that everyone in the business knows, Hey, how each side of my business is doing. Um, but my corporate, my corporate reps, when they see money on the board, the first day of the month or the first day of the quarter, I mean, yeah. it pumps them up, right? We're getting like, we're getting, and we do a lot of team spiffs and a lot of things that require like the team to get to a level. Right. And, uh, and so this has been awesome to be able to have, I mean, essentially deals closing every day. Right. And when, when you are, even, even though we're now all separated and we're doing zooms, right. When you see that your team is closing deals every day, I mean, it motivates you either like, either to go and work harder so you can be a part of that or in a, a very joyous and, and, and grateful way of your, for your teammates. And it sends you back with more confidence that you can do it. So I, I, I think you hit on it. It's been incredible for momentum. This has been a great story. You've given some great pointers. You've given some good actionable things. Thanks, uh, I, I know there's things I will do different as a result of listening to you today. Um, let's wrap this. We're out of time, but sure. man, this has been good. I finish every, every one of these conversations with rapid fire, three questions. You ready? Ready. Okay, number one, biggest sales leadership challenge, and how do you beat it? Well, I coach or I, I work with a lot of younger reps, and so coaching consistency is the, uh, is the biggest challenge. Uh, how do we beat it? We beat it with what we call mini goals. We do, um, we do biweekly pipeline momentum goals. How much are you going to have? in pipe, how much you have in best case, how much are you going to have in commit? What do you need to be able to hit your, hit your number? And we measure that uh, every two weeks. And we talk about it in every one-on-one. So it just keeps everybody uh, just looking to get to the next step uh, in, in terms of how they move things through their pipeline. Coaching consistency. You are the first one to bring that one up. And you know, that's like my version of dirty talk. You know me well enough. To know that. <laughs> I knew I'd <laughs> and, save that one for you, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's true. Um, most sales leaders say they are coaching, but most sales people say, I don't perceive it as coaching or it's not helpful. Right. It's it, that's the case. So I love that idea of, of these mini goals, particularly in this more transactional space that you're building. Yeah, yep. I th- think that's really, really smart. Can I ask one question about that? It's supposed to be sure. rapid fire, but I'm so interested in your success. I have to ask one question on that. Go for it. Um, when I work with leaders that are trying to build a coaching culture, and I work with a lot of them now, um, one of their biggest fears is being perceived as a micromanager. And so when you're doing this every two weeks, and I know you're not being perceived that way because it's one of your big things that you found, is there any tips you might give to the listeners on here's how you make these one-on-ones be something that people thank you for rather than consider to be micromanagement? Yeah. Yeah. I can actually get into this a little bit more too, because my, I, my book suggestion, I know you're going to, you're going to yeah, be there. In so minute, will, yeah. uh, my, my book suggestion will be a, a great roadmap. <laughs> to cool. actually a few of these things i think look like um like you would uh you know a great sales call right i think i think good coaching and good um good one-on-ones are truly led by discovery right it's it's a lot less of of you talking and a lot more of you asking questions and and leading your reps into answers that inevitably they know right? Um, And just need to reinforce for themselves, or if they don't know, are much more effective and influential when they create for themselves, 
right? And so um, with these mini goals, we'll go through these coaching sessions and then my reps set them. They set those goals. They're theirs to set, right? But they set them based off of what we've talked about and, and how we've kind of organized their strategy for, uh, for the next, you know, the next two weeks. And so I think, um, I think that partnered with, look, you got to let your, you got to let your reps make mistakes, right? And that's usually where I think a lot of people feel micromanaged. I made this mistake or I didn't hit this activity or I didn't hit this goal. And now my boss is down my throat, right? Um, if we, if we're able to say, look, I know you're smart because you're a human, you're in this role. I hired you. Or for some of us, we didn't hire them, but you got hired here. Uh, you know, um, I, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hammer you on this mistake, but we're gonna go through it. We're gonna retro on it, and I'm gonna ask you a lot of questions. And at the end of the day, I'm gonna ask you to to say, okay, so um, what influence is this gonna have on your business? How do we cover for that? What's our delta plan? And uh, and inevitably, you know, if if the rep is driving the creation of those things. Um, then it becomes good coaching. Boy, that is so insightful. You're you're good. I got to keep moving because of time. I, I'm sensitive to your time as well. So thank right, you. Dude, I'm dragging you out as well. You're too. not, man. This is awesome. I'm. I'm that is so good. I could have. We could have had. In fact, we're going to have you back in six months. We're going to talk about that for the whole cool. show. Cool. And um, next one. Yeah. You're, you're building a team. You've built a global team. Uh, when you're when you're team building and you're interviewing and you're looking for people, do you have a go-to interview question or interview concept? And and when you use it, what exactly are you looking for? Yeah, exactly. So I look for I just look for three things. I look for uh, hustle and drive. Right, that's one thing. Sorry. Okay. Um, intelligence and then passion for growth. Um, I don't look for your experience. I don't look for how technical you are. Uh, look, I can teach you all those things, and I don't mind teaching you those things. But I can't, I can't teach you a growth mindset. Cannot, I can't teach you how to be smart. I'm not that smart, so uh, <laughs> I certainly can't teach you that. Um, and I can't teach you how to hustle, right? Th- those are things that are just innate and they come with people. So some of the things that I like to ask that flesh these things out. Um, one of the first questions that I always ask when I get into the room uh, is, is like, hey, what's the best way you learn? I look for someone to articulate how they learn best, right? That also helps me as a manager. I know I like if, that. if I, if I can understand how you learn best, then I can man manage you or woman manage you um, appropriately. Um, I also like to have people tell me about their favorite loss. It kind of throws people for a little bit of a loop, um, but it's, you can learn a lot about somebody and the way they think uh, about when they lose or you know, the way they think when they lose by asking, Hey, what, which one was your favorite? Um, and it, and it puts people in a little bit of a, a little bit of a difficult yeah. you know, position because they got to talk about something hard, um, but they got to figure out what they, what they got from it. So um, outside of that, look, I just look for people. Um, I, I will drop people into role play um, and I look and see how much they know about my product already. I look and see how much they know about me already. Um, and, uh, and, and if, if, you know, it's relatively sharp, I know that they've been intelligent enough to go do their homework. Um, they want this bad enough to, to consume those things. And so those, those are things I look for and typically how I get them. Dude, those are good. Last one. We found that leaders are readers and the people, uh, they're the great leaders have never stopped their journey of learning. Uh, do you have anything that you might recommend? I don't care if it's a book or an audible. And I also don't care if it's like a, you know, bite-sized chunk, like a podcast or a blog. 
You yeah. got anything that you'd recommend to our leaders that they really start consuming if they want to continue to advance their leadership journey? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm going to be repeating these two for you, and then I'll give you one that maybe you haven't heard before. Um, if you haven't read Extreme Ownership, and if you haven't read Shoe Dog, go do those two. Uh, Shoe Dog is my favorite sales book. Oh. It, 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 like nobody thinks it's a sales book till you read it. It is oh, my favorite sales book. It's phenomenal. It, yeah. it's, it, it, it has everything in it. And I think, um, you know, I wasn't a huge consumer of Nike, um, and I'm not going to be because I've got the flattest feet. And okay. shoes just don't, don't work for me. Um, but I am a gigantic fan uh, of that business and what yeah. they've done and, and, and Phil Knight's story there. Um, the one book I'll leave you with, it's a book by, uh, by Michael Steiner, and it's a book called The Coaching Habit. Um, and oh. like, I love, I love the, the preface of it is, say less, ask more, change the way you lead. Um, and it's, it's seven chapters, eight chapters, it's super short. It's, I don't think it's even 200 pages. It's like the best airplane read. Like if you're going to hop on an airplane now and you want some distraction from what's going on around you, um, read that. You can do it in about two hours. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal book. Hoy, you are a beast. This was a great conversation, man. Um, Thank you for having me. I, I agree. First, congrats on your success. I mean, you, you guys are head turners. You've been a part of a great team, but you've also helped steer that ship. So congrats to you. How do they get more of you? How do they get more of Pendo? If they want to have questions or continue the conversation, how do they do that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, look, link with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I say it in my profile there and I mean it. Like I want to connect with people around the industry. I, the way I learn best is through others. Um, I go and I love spending time in other people's businesses. I love going and shadowing people. I was so fortunate to have the opportunity to, you know, a few times last year, shadow leaders at New Relic. And so I'm super grateful for them. So if, um, if you want to come shadow me or, or uh, learn from me, I'm happy to do so. Just don't be surprised when I, when I twist it around and ask to do the same thing. Um, so please reach out to me on LinkedIn and I'm happy to, uh, you know, happy to connect there. Okay. He's Michael Hoy. He's been helping drive the great, the great uh, run of one of the most exciting uh, revenue teams in North America, worldwide organization. Pendo is growing fast. It's growing furious. Uh, and Michael has been helping steer that ship every step of the way. Michael, my friend, thank you so much for joining us. And as I say to everyone, man, happy selling. Thanks, Rob. Hey everyone, welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. Listen, companies spend billions each year on sales training. They spend even more billions on sales tools, and if you tack on a few more billion after that for sales process, you can see that people are taking sales seriously. And these investments are important, but these same companies invest almost nothing on training their sales leaders. And that's a very interesting dilemma because so many studies show that the number one impact on sales performance is the quality of the sales leader. It's not how good you manage. It's your understanding of what it means to lead and to coach. But most managers are never taught what it means to be a true sales leader. They just get the job, then they get a team, and then they get a quota. And after that, they usually get left on their own. So as a result, you'll turn to metrics and dashboards, and sometimes they even try to put every rep in the same box rather than become the best version of themselves. I am convinced that year 2021 will be the year of the coach. 
the year where the sales leader creates the biggest impact that they've ever created. And it will be a time where the sales leader has more riding on their skills than they ever have. So as you prepare for 2021, I want to help. Right now, I'm helping organizations put together virtual sales academies, virtual sales and revenue kickoffs, building new leadership structures and coaching processes, providing one-on-one coaching to sales leaders and and new managers in countries around the world. And and it's helping in three areas, mindset, skill set, and performance. If you haven't sat down and been trained and developed new skills around how you approach that job and what things you bring to the table, you will have a very hard time outgrowing your talent as a leader. And so whether it's joining my Patreon group, Sales Leadership United, where I share my best content, whether it's providing fast track uh, training for new managers where you can press 18 months of learning down into three months, or or, or maybe providing executive coaching for members of your team or, or even yourself, I don't care what it is. I'm helping organizations in a lot of ways, and I want to help you create as much impact as possible with the people you lead. So if you want to be legendary, hit me up, because how you lead matters, and it will matter more than ever before in 2021. So let me help you navigate that sales leadership maze, and let's get after it. Now, Michael. Michael's done some amazing work at Pendo. Seriously, I've been trying to get him on the show for over a year It's been so cool to watch him drive growth in one of the most exciting companies in North America for several years now. And one of the things I really like about him is he walks his talk. He didn't just share some ideas. He he shared and pulled the curtains back on how he took the things that he's seeing others do and used it to launch a ridiculously successful new division. There's a lot of things that he brought into play. I I, I, I could talk about a lot of things, but what I really want to talk about is his angle of revenue certainty. Revenue certainty, revenue confidence, whatever you want to call it, is more important than it's ever been. I love Michael's approach in moving past talking about revenue confidence and making it happen. And for him, it started with predicting churn. Now, I love that. For many people, it's about predicting closings. For him, it was let's get this churn thing right first before we try to scale everything out. Because it doesn't make sense to go get more if they're just going to be losing them on the back door. And right now, with what we're up against, the existing customer... You know, that, that renewal uh, component is more important than it's ever been. I can tell you, if you can hold on to your customers and turn customer for a minute into a customer for life, it's a game changer. And the companies that are winning are getting that figured out. And so I really liked how he started with that. You know, he talked about the Pendo football. That made me laugh, you know, and how they made moves to change that because they didn't want to provide a crappy uh, deal and try to react and make saves. They wanted to instead act and create predictability and confidence in what the customer experience was going to be. And so his point of starting to predict churn based on how things are sold is really insightful. If you're not uh, going back and listening to that component a couple times, you're making a mistake. Go back and listen to that. He talks about how it's sold is the first predictor of if there's going to be retention or churn. That's something that you should go figure out for your organization. It's one of the reasons why I like that that title of chief revenue officer rather than just chief sales officer. Because it takes this holistic view of the entire customer journey, not just the sales journey. And so Michael talks about this big chasm. That's the word that he used was chasm. We have product market fit and go-to-market fit. On the product market fit, you know, it's it's about, you know, will, will this solve the problem? And, and they, they say that it does or it doesn't, not if they buy it, but if they renew. That the renewal tells me if we have the right product market fit. 
And then go to market fit is about how efficient can we take it to market and sell it. And, um, and I like that that word chasm because too many organizations treat it with separate teams and separate metrics and separate language and separate initiatives. And he said, no, they all speak the same language and everybody's working on the same thing. It's, it's start and then keep them forever. And I loved how looking at product market fit, um, as the same time you look at go to market fit solves problems for them in a different way. And they didn't get crazy about spinning up new, new teams and getting bigger until they figure out how to keep them in the first place. And I think that that will help you create lasting value, maybe more than anything else you do. So the customer's experience is something the entire company is part of at Pendo. It isn't just a sales challenge. It isn't just a CX challenge. It isn't just a product challenge. It isn't just a marketing challenge. And that's why the word that I love the most maybe was Pendology, not sales methodology. I love the story about how they had to teach, you know, they had to insist to the sales leaders that they hired that they had all these other teams in there. And, um, and as a result, you see silos disappear. You see teamwork become exciting. And, and we start to respect what each other has to say because we know where we all fit. And when the company speaks the same language, when they're oriented to that same true north, their orientation is customer for life, right? Then all of a sudden, you start to be able to be decisive on the right things. I loved how he sh shifted to that at the end. Uh, they were decisive about the right things because they were all on the same team and they were all oriented to the same true north. You don't feel like this person out on an island anymore. And, and lots of sales leaders tell me it's a lonely spot. We feel like we're playing guess and check and we're making gut decisions. And, and now your decisiveness won't feel risky. It won't be based on hope. And instead, you can add method to your madness. And whether you win or lose, you'll see your decisions create impact faster than you've ever created. And your customer will have a better experience than they have with any of their other vendors. So, Michael, my friend, thank you for joining us today. Your insights around creating revenue confidence are on the money. I loved it. Uh, I, I hope everyone took good notes and goes back and listens multiple times. I appreciate Michael pulling back the covers and showing how Pendo is creating confidence at the time they need it most. And you can have a similar experience by following his blueprint. Michael's done incredible work, and I'm so appreciative of him sharing with each of us. To each of you, our listeners, thank you. I appreciate your support of the show more than you know. I'm so appreciative to those of you that leave those five-star reviews. Mention us on LinkedIn. Tell your colleagues to check out the show. Your support is why we continue to grow ridiculously fast. And if you've been thinking about hitting me up for a discussion around one-on-ones, stop thinking about it and shoot me a message. It's a no-strings-attached offer. I truly want to help as many sales leaders around the world as I can. So here's to creating revenue confidence by making sure everyone is playing the same game. Here's to creating a customer experience that builds a bridge over the chasm between go-to-market fit and product market fit. Because when you do, you enlist a source of new teammates that will help make sure every customer you bring to your company has the best shot possible to be a customer for life. And creating revenue confidence in the organization you lead is one of those things that will make you legendary in the company you work with and with the team you lead. So thanks to each of you for listening. Thanks for sharing our show with those you work with. And as always... Don't worry, just execute, because we got you.